Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Hey, I want to tell you that today we're going to talk about something because I don't know if you know this or not. Sometimes some of the smallest, seemingly insignificant things in our lives can have the most profound and powerful impact on our lives. I want to talk to you today about something that can easily be scoffed at, is often overlooked, but is something that when we begin to tap into this, when we begin to practice this, when we put this into the rhythm of our lives, that, that things begin to change. And before I tell you what it is, I want to help you understand why it's so powerful. I don't know if you know or not, but our minds are powerful things. Our minds are powerful that if the, if the wrong stuff starts rattling around in there, it'll start leading you down some really bad roads. But if you allow the right stuff to get in there and start rattling around and allow the right stuff to start to take root, it can lead you down some really good roads. And, and, and at minimum, it will at least allow you to be able to have a certain resiliency when you get on the bad sections in the road of life. What I wanna talk to you today is something that is, is very small, but very powerful. I want you to see the pattern of why this works and, and, and why it is able to be so powerful because the way our minds work is like this, that, that thoughts lead to actions. There's nothing that you've ever really done that at some level, either consciously or subconsciously, didn't begin as a thought in your mind. And so our thoughts lead to our actions and our actions lead to habits. So the more that we think about something, whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing, it'll lead to actions. And the more that we do that thing, then it'll eventually become a habit. And our habits end up forming the elements of the story of our lives. Our habits are the things that, that lead and mold and shape who we end up becoming and what we end up doing and where we end up going. Our thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits and habits lead to and define and direct our lives. And that's why today I want to talk about this very, very small thing. Because when you allow the wrong things to get in your head, it could, it could lead to anxiety. It could lead to entitlement. It can lead to bitterness. It can lead to unforgiveness. It can lead to brokenness in our lives and our relationships. And those things can become the elements that define your story. Being very careful, because I want you to understand those things don't get to define who you are, but they can define the story that your life tells. Conversely, when we allow the right things to get in there, it can lead us to beautiful places in a radically different trajectory. And so of all the things that we could allow to invade our minds, of all the things that we could allow to invade our, invade our thought space, this one thing is one of the most powerful and profound things that can mold and shape and transform and alter the trajectory of our lives. And so today I wanna to talk to you about the power of gratitude. The power of gratitude. And I wanna take just a moment, just say it's good to be back. Uh, Jessica and I, uh, last week were gone. We spent some time, uh, just the two of us, praise God. Uh, just the two of us took a road trip through Texas. Anybody ever heard of it? I had actually never really spent much time driving through Texas or being in Texas. And so uh, we decided to go on a little road trip. We went and spent some time with Chip and Joanna, Chip and Jojo and Waco. Uh, we didn't actually see them. Uh, they refused our invitation um, but we spent some time in Waco, spent some time in Austin, and we kept it weird there. And then we went to uh, San Antonio and, and loved that. We ate some good food. We slept in a little bit, had a couple of fights. But then we laughed about it and moved on. And uh, listen, I just want to, just a quick public service announcement to all the married folks. If you're married, let me hear you make some noise. Listen, I just want to tell you, if you're married, um, this isn't thus says the Lord necessarily. This is thus says Jern, but I think I can find some good principles in here. Listen, if you are married and especially if you are married and have kids, find a way to invest in your relationship with your spouse. Listen, the covenant that you made on your wedding day did not involve your children. They just got added on as like, you know, millstones hung around your neck as you, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I love my kids. I do, they're a blessing. 
But listen, can I just tell you just real quick, if I can just say this as your pastor, I see so many marriages that struggle because they spend way more time investing in their kids than they do in their marriage. Spend way more time investing in their careers than they do in their marriage. And can I just tell you, you need to find a way to make some investments in your marriage. I would recommend at least once a quarter doing a date night without the kids and find a way once a year, even if it's just a weekend, it doesn't have to be expensive. Find a weekend where you and your spouse can get away, just the two of you. Stop seeing it as an expense and start seeing it as an investment, okay? Because whatever you spend between over the next 10 years is going to be a whole lot cheaper than what lawyer fees would be. Okay? So find a way. Make the investment. Um, it's a whole different message for another day. In fact, I did a, a whole series, if, if you're relatively new with us, I did a whole series in the fall of 2020 called uh, Happily Ever After. We talked about singleness. We talked about dating. We talked about marriage. We got, we got in all of the stuff of marriage. It was one of those series where there's a couple times where Jess, I got, I'd get home and Jess goes, I just got to be honest, that made me a little uncomfortable. I go, well, that means I was almost where I needed to be. All right. And so we got, uh, we, we got pretty candid in that series. So go check it out. Uh, you can find it on the website. Also, real quick, I want to say thank you to Chris. Man, he preached the house down last week. Thank you, Chris. Actually, I actually haven't even had a chance to tell him this yet because I, I just got a chance to watch it on Thursday, man. Chris, what a message, what a word. Worry ends when faith begins. Man, thank you so much, Chris, for preaching and ministering to our church last week. I love you. Listen, church, we are so blessed with the staff that God has given us. Um, they're so, so gifted. They're so talented. And um, man, the best part of our team, and I, I get to see this, the best part of our team really is, it's not, it's not how good they are at the thing that they do. It really is. They love Jesus and they really want people to know Jesus like they do. And uh, man, I'm just blessed to work with them and so glad to be with them and be a part of the team. And you're blessed to have them as your staff leading the way. And anyway, let's get back to the message today. I heard not too long ago a quote, and I don't know who originally authored the quote, so I can't give them the credit, but it's a quote that kind of made me stop and go, hmm. And the quote said this, that gratitude and anxiety can't coexist. Gratitude and anxiety can't coexist. Now, the person that I heard the quote from said that they read in a, in a, in a book by a Christian author. So, so it's kind of one of those things that I go, hmm, that sounds really good, but I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes uh, Christian authors and preachers sometimes will say things that sound really good. And it's not that they're wrong or bad, but if, if it's rooted in scripture, it's just better. And so I just, I just thought, I went, hmm, that sounds really good, but I, I wonder I wonder if that's something that's really rooted in scripture. So I began to study this thing out. And I, as I began to study God's word, I found some things that were pretty interesting. In fact, I was pretty overwhelmed at how many times in the scriptures we see things like, bless the Lord, thank you, Lord, great is the Lord, how good is God, awesome is our God, worthy to be praised. I mean, over and over and over are these declarations of gratitude. And so I began to study a little bit more and I actually began to find that it seems like not only is it something that is repeated again and again in scripture, it actually seems that it is something that is commanded by God. Check this out in 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing in everything. Here it is, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you understand that? What God's word is saying is that, listen, I want you to rejoice always, have joy all the time. Even when it's a bad hair day, even when the coffee pot breaks, even when your boss shows up and is in a mood. Rejoice always. Then he says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop talking to me. Don't shut off the, the, the access. And then he says, and then in everything, Give thanks. God says, this is, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. If by faith you are in Christ, God is saying, my desire for you, my will for you is that you rejoice always, you pray all the time, and in every single thing, give thanks. We see it again in Philippians chapter four. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He doubles down. You're gonna see the same pattern here, rejoice. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So there's the prayer again. And then here it is, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Check this out. He's saying, listen, rejoice. 
Not just once, but in case you didn't rejoice it enough the first time, go ahead and do it again. Have joy another time. I did a whole series on this called Choose Joy, that joy is not a circumstance. Joy is a choice. It's a birthright that God has given to you as a follower of Jesus, that joy is available to you. You don't have to stumble into it. You have to choose it. And so God is saying, rejoice always, be anxious and pray. And then with thanksgiving, let all your requests and your petitions be made known to God. I want you to notice what happens, that there's a conditional promise that happens with this. And it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I just feel led to say, we need our hearts and minds guarded by the grace of God. Can I just tell you, you may have information and news and updates and breaking reports and the latest crazy thing that somebody did that was stupid and upsetting the apple cart and what this company's doing and what that school is doing and it is always available to you. But can I just tell you, you weren't made to be able to handle consuming all of it. And all of those things that you read and you see that cause you to get anxious, cause you to get upset, cause you to get angry, cause you to be, be concerned, cause you to have fear. I'm just telling you that God's word is saying that we need to rejoice even in the midst of that chaos. Why? Because Jesus told us it was gonna get worse before it gets better, before he comes back and takes those who are in Christ to home where we belong. We need to pray constantly because as we navigate the landmines of this world, we need the the guidance and the direction of the Spirit of God and we need to have thanks because God has given us these, these good things. He's given us the Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us the church. He's given us community. He's given us His Son so that in the midst of all of the chaos and the crazy that's happening in this world, we don't have to be afraid of anything because His perfect love casts out fear. And I'm just telling you, there is somebody that needs to hear this today, that you need to start putting some of these things in practice so that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding can guard your hearts from bitterness, guard your hearts from anxiety, guard your heart from anger, guard your heart from fear. And then then to have your mind protected by the spirit of God with the confidence of knowing that if you are in Christ, you are okay, no matter what the world throws at you. Gratitude is a command that God gives us over and over and over. And so I just started wondering if God gives us over and over and over as a command, if we see it over and over and we see it in scripture as a command, I'm just curious then, God, I begin to ask the question, God, what are the ways that gratitude can affect our lives? And it's amazing as a pastor, how many times, and many, most of my pastor friends, I, I see them at the same time. It's amazing how many times we ask God, God, how are the ways that this works? How are the ways that it affects us? And God always says that there's three things. There's never four points. There's never two points. There's always three points to the message. And so I'm coming again with three more points to this message, because I think that there are three ways that gratitude has the power to affect our lives. And the first thing I want you to see is that gratitude has the power to affect our faith. It has the power to affect our faith. We're gonna be in Psalm 103. You can go ahead and turn there. And I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna wanna take some notes today because we're gonna unpack some things. I like to unpack God's word and try to understand it and help you learn what I'm learning so that we can learn it together, amen? One of you, thank you. Thank you. All that study this week, thank you. Me and you right here. Thanks, Doug. Psalm 103, if you're with me, let me hear you say grateful. Psalm 103, verse one says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know what, King David, he's the one who wrote this. And King David is, is recording for us one of his prayers, one of his, one of his declarations back to God. And he's recorded it for us. And I love the way he starts. He goes, listen, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Can I tell you, David wouldn't have been the guy that would have said, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, that's within me. Bless his holy name. Dear Jesus, amen. All right. That was a lot. Can I tell you, I think David would be like, bless the Lord, all that's within me. 
Bless his holy name. And then he doubles down and again, bless it, oh my soul. And then he says something that's interesting, something that you and I need to take note of. Then he says, and forget not his benefits. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you become a child of God, when you place your faith in Christ for salvation, you become his child, there are certain benefits that are inferred upon you as a child of the king of kings. And what David is gonna do now is he's gonna do something that you and I need to do a better job of doing. David's gonna start writing down the things that he can think of about how being a child of God has been a benefit into his life. Now I'm gonna read through these verses. I'm gonna come back and unpack these because this is so powerful. He says this in verse uh, verse three. Who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What is David doing? He's doing like that old hymn said, count your blessings, name them one by one. I'm not gonna sing it anymore. Probably not helping you know what song I'm talking about anyway. (laughs) Count your blessings, see that all that God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. You know, it's just doing what David is doing here. I'm gonna unpack this because I think it'll be helpful for you to see how what, what David defines as the benefits he has experienced as being a child of God are the same things that you and I experience. But I would have a, have a feeling that perhaps in the midst of the way that we live our lives and the things that need to happen that we forget about some of these things. So David starts with gratitude for forgiveness of all his iniquities. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God forgives me of all the wrong stuff that I ever did. Now, this is really powerful considering some of the wrong stuff that David did. Now, if you're familiar with the story of David, then you're perhaps familiar with some of the things that he did. But if you're not, allow me to just give you just a little bit of snapshot because I hear from people all the time, oh, God can't love me. You don't know what I did. God can't use me. You don't know where I've been. Let me tell you about old King Dave. King Dave was a king, as the title would say. And one day he, was, uh, his na- he sent his nation, he sent his army out to battle. And, and David said, you know what? I've been fighting a long time. I'm kind of tired. I'm going to take this one off, boys. That was very uncommon because in those days, the king always went to battle and the king always led the battle. But good old Dave said, you know what, y'all, y'all go ahead. So Dave was just walking out one day on his veranda and looked over and saw some beautiful woman taking a bath outside buck naked. Now, I don't know what kind of woman takes a bath outside buck naked, but apparently this woman did. And David was a dude. And he saw the woman and go, whoo. The problem is David felt because he was king, he could get whatever he wanted, however he wanted, whenever he wanted. So he sent his servant to get old girl, bring her up, and then they talk kind of like they do in those PG movies. They talk for a second, and then it goes to the next scene, and you just kind of figured out what happened. And that's what happened in the story. They, 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 ha- they make love, and then, and then he sends the woman back home. And Dave's like, ooh, that was a, that was a good night. Problem, whoopsie. She comes back to him and says, hey, David, I'm, I'm, I'm um, <clears throat> pregnant. David goes, oh, snap. So David comes up with a plan to cover it up. He calls her husband Uriah back because Uriah is out with the army where, where the men are. Um, and, and Uriah comes back and David like, winds him and dines him and says, listen, man, why don't you go home and be with your wife? She's so sweet and so kind and so lovely. She would love to be in your presence. Go on with your bad self. The problem was, is that Uriah had too much character and integrity. He came back and said, David, I can't in good conscience go in and sleep with my wife and enjoy the perks of being at home when all of my friends and all of the men are out at war. David realized his plan wasn't gonna work, so he went to plan B. So David wrote a little note, sealed it with the king's seal, gave it to Uriah and said, hey, listen, man, God love you, God bless you, God be with you. Can you take this and give this to your uh, your, 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 uh, your commander when you get there. And so he does, he takes the note back and gives it to the commander. The commander opens the note up and it says, hey, commander, um, 
here's what, I, here's what I need you to do. I want you to put Uriah, which is the woman's husband, on the front lines at the very front, the tip of the spear. And I want y'all to charge like you're going into battle. And then right when you get to the brink of when the battle starts, I want you to tell everybody except Uriah to fall back so that only Uriah is there to fight the battle on his own. That's exactly what the commander does and Uriah dies. News comes back, Uriah's wife Bathsheba, the, man, the woman that, that David had slept with, she's all upset. And then David does what was very common for kings to do in that day. David comes in as the doting savior of the damsel in distress and goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I sent your husband into battle. It's my fault. Why don't you come on in and be one of my wives? I will take care of you. And that's exactly what happens. David thinks that he got away with it. Here's the problem is that we never get away with anything because God is always watching. So God sends a man by the name of Samuel, who was a prophet, tells David, hey man, uh, you done messed up. What the Bible records for us in Psalm 51, you can go read this, is David's crying out to God in confession and asking for forgiveness for what he has done. And David now writes in Psalm 103, he knows the benefits of God because he's experienced the forgiveness of his iniquities that he had committed, not only against Uriah, not only against Bathsheba, but against God. And even still, he has experienced the forgiveness and the grace of God. David goes on to say that part of the benefit is that God heals all diseases. Can I tell you that God doesn't always choose, listen, there's some bad teaching around this, that God doesn't always choose and God never promises that he was absolutely going to heal every ailment, every disease on this side of heaven. If you were in Christ and when you die and you go to heaven, then God promises that when you get there, everything's gonna be healed. But what David is saying, he's not saying that God is absolutely gonna heal all diseases. What David is saying is that there has never been a disease, there's never been an ailment, there's never been an illness that has ever been healed that was not healed by God. Sometimes it's done through supernatural means and I've, I've seen this, I've experienced this happen when, when there's no medical explanation why somebody gets better. It's, it's a miraculous thing. But even in natural situations where medicine or, 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 or surgery or whatever has brought healing to something, I've had a couple procedures done and surgeries done to help fix some stuff in my body that was broken. And what God is wanting us to know is that even those were healed by God. And you might go, I didn't see God in that operating room. That was a surgeon that was in there fixing my shoulder. You're right. But God would challenge and say, who created that doctor? to study the human body the way that I designed it so that they can learn how to put some things back together when through the course of your life, your body gets ravaged because of sin or illness. You see, God is the one ultimately who heals all diseases. He goes on to say, he redeems our lives from destruction. I love this. The Hebrew word for redeem that is used here is um, the Hebrew language is a, is a, is a word picture language. And so the word that is used here paints the picture of someone who rescues someone else from a form of bondage through outside help. And so the idea is, is that, is that David is saying, my life has been redeemed. Somebody else has come in and set me free from the bondage. Somebody else has come in and loosed the, the, the shackles that were on my wrist. Somebody else has come in and paid the debt that I owed. And ultimately what he's referring to and what he's pointing to is Jesus and what Jesus does in our lives. But what I love about what God's word says is when anytime that God's words talks about redemption or redeeming, there's something so powerful that's not just on the surface, but beneath the surface. Because not only do I meet a lot of people who say, God can't love me, you don't know what I've done. I meet a lot of people who say, you know what, pray, preacher man, God can't use me. If you knew where I've been and what I've done, you would know there is no way that God could use me. You see, here's the deal. Jesus is a king. Jesus is a God who not only saves us from our sin, but he also helps get the sin out of us. That's redeeming us. 
And what that means is, is that there is, there is nothing in our lives. There is no person who has ever been so damaged. There is no person who has ever been so broken. There's no person that has ever been filled with such darkness that the powerful, glorious light of Jesus cannot shine through your life and still create something beautiful for the world to see. You see, he redeems our lives from destruction. And then it says he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. This word loving kindness is a Hebrew word called chesed. And I had to practice that a lot this week. I hope you appreciate it. Chesed. You know how hard it is for an Arkansas boy to and not have stuff. The Hebrew word chesed, last time I'm doing that, it's getting risky. It's something that scripture uses over and over to talk about one of the most essential elements of the nature and character of God. It's not just love and it's not just kindness. It's, it's God's love and kindness that are woven together, that are inseparable. And what David is saying is that my life has been crowned with loving kindness. My life has been covered by the character of God and not only by the loving kindness of God, but also by his tender mercies. And, and his idea of the tender mercies is he's literally saying that not only has God put a covering over our head of the most essential elements of God's character, that God is also motivated in his heart by a deeply felt desire to want to care for, to nurture, to provide for, and to protect you. You see, that's tender mercies. And God, what God's word is saying is that, that in Christ, we have been crowned, we have been covered by God's loving kindness and by his tender mercies. And then he says that he satisfies your mouth with good things. What is he saying? He's saying that he, he provides the things that our bodies need, that our lives need, and not just the things that we need, but he also satisfies our, our, our human condition. He satisfies our human bodies and our human nature with things that satisfy us. James chapter one says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights, that's God, among whom there is no variation or shadow in turning. Let me translate what that means. That means that anything in your life that you have ever encountered, ever consumed, ever experienced, ever possessed, or ever been in connection with that was ever truly good came from God. The problem is, is that there are so many things in this world that want to deceive us and make us believe that the things the world offers can really satisfy when they can't. They can appease, they can tease, but the things of this world can't truly satisfy. And what David is saying is that I have experienced the good gifts of God that have satisfied my mouth so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What is the eagle? It was a symbol of strength and speed in David's day. In other words, what David is saying is, is that God's desire is that you are always rested and ready for what the world brings at us. Let me just ask you this question. How often do you really feel rested and ready? You see, Proverbs chapter three says that God wants us to get there, but in order to get there, we have to trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. You see, there are, there are things that God prescribes for us in his word, a, a rhythm and a grace and a pace that he wants us to live with so that we can experience those good and perfect gifts that truly satisfy but when we lean on our own understanding and try to do things our way, then we, we begin living in a pace and a rhythm that is apart from God's grace. We start living frantically busy and perpetually consumed by all of the things that we need to do. But what God is saying is, is listen, I want you to understand that there's a different grace, there's a different pace that I want you to live with because I want you to be renewed. I want you to experience the things that I can offer you that can truly satisfy so that you can constantly be renewed like the eagles so that in every moment of every day, you can say, I am walking in the grace of God and the pace of God. I've oriented my life according to his word and his 
his prescription and I am rested and I am ready for whatever it is the world wants to bring at me today. And so what does David do? And he's acknowledging, he's expressing gratitude for the benefits of salvation, for being healed from ailments, for, for purpose in his life being restored after he's experienced the dark things of this world. He's, he's expressing gratitude for being covered by God's character and pursued by his mercy. He's expressing gratitude for the satisfaction in the good things that God offers and the, for experiencing the rest and renewal of his bodies. And I'm just wondering today how much gratitude could affect your life if you would choose to do what David did if you would be willing to, to wake up in the morning and, and allow the first thing that comes across your morning not be all of the things that burden you, the stuff that stretches you out, the bills that have to get paid, the places the kids have to go, the stuff that you've got to do for work. But instead you said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to do all of those things. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with gratitude because gratitude has the power to affect my faith. And if I can be reminded of God's goodness, if I can be reminded of his provision, if I can be reminded of my my salvation, if I could be reminded of how he rests and renews and restores me, if I could be reminded about how he has healed me from things in the past, then maybe, just maybe, it would alter my mindset so that when the difficult things come my way today, I'm going to be okay because I first anchored myself in the truth of who God is and the truth of his word and the things that I've experienced. And my faith has been encouraged today because I've taken the time to preach these things to myself and to express them to my God. God, God, I am grateful and thankful for you today. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is in me, I say bless his holy name. And whatever the world wants to bring, bring it on because my faith has been renewed today because I needed to take just a minute to count my blessings, to name them out loud so that I can be reminded that my ability to get through the day is not determined by what I'm able to do. My ability to get through the day has already been determined by who my God is and what he has already done for me. I'm just telling you today, trying to help you see how practical your faith can be to affect you in the day-to-day. -day. I'm trying to help you see today that if you would start your day that way, then you could see the presence of God and the Spirit of God leading you forward. And when you can be reminded on a regular basis of how good God is, how much he loves you, how much he's provided for you. Can I just tell you, it's amazing how quickly you will begin to forget and begin to care just a little bit less about what they say because you have already anchored yourself on what he says. I begin to think through this and I begin to wonder, okay, God, if, if gratitude can affect our faith, are there any, any other areas of our lives where gratitude can affect us? And I believe that there are. I believe gratitude has the power to affect our mind. I want to thread the needle for you just a second on this because I told you at the beginning that, that the quote that kind of led me on this rabbit trail, that gratitude and anxiety can't coexist. So I want you to imagine for a second, you've chosen to start your day with gratitude, reminding yourself of the benefits of God. And this very act, is, it begins to do something in you. Romans chapter 12 begins to talk about this a little bit. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. You know what he's saying? He's saying, now that you have understood, now that you've remembered the benefits of God and you've expressed gratitude for God, from a place of gratitude now, you present your body, you present your life, you present your schedule, you present your finances, you present your, 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 your email, you present your social media to God and say, God, it's all yours. You tell me how you want me to use this. He goes on to say, and do not be conformed to, the, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that as we grow in Christ, God wants our mindset to be adjusted. And we sometimes need to be reminded by taking a moment to express some gratitude who we are and whose we are and who God is and what he can do and what he's already done. And in response to that, we need to have some, we need to allow this gratitude to affect our minds. Why? Because God doesn't want us to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Translation, God doesn't want us to do what the world says is normal. You know why? Because normal doesn't work. When it comes to finances, normal is broke. 
When it comes to our mental health, normal is emotionally stretched. When it comes to our schedules, normal is perpetually busy. And when it comes to our relationships, normal is stressed and fractured. So I began to do some research. Okay, what is science saying about this? I found a, an article, 2019 article from a licensed counselor and some of the, the, the big points of the article was that anxiety and gratitude are brain-based reactionary emotions to situations. They are uh, reactions that happen in the neurotransmitters in our brain. That anxiety is a reaction to a situation when we have a negative outlook on the situation. Gratitude is a reaction to a situation when we have a positive outlook to the situation. And she came to a conclusion and she said, and I quote, the brain can't respond to anxiety and gratitude at the same time, which means it's either one or the other. Pretty profound revelation, one that if anxiety is something that is a trigger for you, it's something that you wrestle with, perhaps this could be helpful for you. Essentially, what science is learning is that God's word has been right all along. That God didn't issue this as a command to his followers in order to be burdensome. No, God's commands that he issues to his followers is so that we can experience more freedom. Every command in God's word is not to limit you, to withhold you, or to restrict you. Every command in God's word in every area of your life is given to you from love to you so that you can experience more freedom, not less. I think it's awesome when science catches up to the Bible. Now, I realize I want to take a moment here. I don't want to marginalize or minimize something. I know that anxiety is not something that's just a, well, I'm over it. I just want to encourage you today that science is confirming what God's word has been saying. You can't be anxious and gratitude and grateful at the same time. When you begin to fix your eyes on Jesus, follow his instruction. You're obsessed with seeing his goodness. You choose to name your blessings and how he's impacted you. Then what happens is, is you begin to have a posture of gratitude and gratitude and anxiety can't coexist. Or to put it in another way, anxiety can't get comfortable in a mind that has already chosen to be grateful. Somebody needs to write that down. I wish I would have put that in the notes. Anxiety can't get comfortable in the mind of a person who has already chosen to be grateful to their God. Lastly, I want to help you see that gratitude has the power to affect our relationships. It doesn't matter what the relational dynamic is. It could be a, 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 a spouse relationship. It could be a parent-child relationship. It could be an employer-employee relationship. It doesn't matter doesn't matter the relational dynamic. Gratitude has the power to affect our relationships. Now, I've told you that gratitude and anxiety can't coexist, but as I started thinking about it, I learned that there is another thing that can't coexist with gratitude. Gratitude and a negative spirit cannot coexist. Why don't you try it sometime? I want you to try being grateful and critical at the same time. You are gonna look like a computer robot malfunction. <laughs> because it doesn't work. The problem is, and I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna get real with you now. The problem is, is that a lot of us don't want to be grateful. We would rather be critical. Now, it sounds crazy when I say it that way. But when I think about my life and the moments where I've been critical, Here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that I could have chosen to be grateful, but instead I wanted to be critical. Here's what, here's what else I'm learning. I'm learning that the opposite of gratitude is entitlement. You see, some of us want to be critical because we believe we are entitled 
Now, this is going to hurt just a little bit. I want to help you see how in our faith we get crippled because the number one reason why you struggle with gratitude is because you feel entitled. In matters of faith, you feel entitled because you feel like you deserve certain blessings. You feel like you deserve certain things. You feel like you deserve certain positions. And what happens is, is because you feel like you deserve certain things, then you will forsake the gratitude and forsake the blessings of God because you are too busy comparing what you don't have with what somebody else does have. And instead of allowing yourself to be in a position of gratitude, thank you, Lord, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Instead, you never word it this way, but your heart condition and your actions are saying, curse the Lord and all that is within my soul. Why don't I have what they have? And here's the irony of it. While you are spending time forsaking the, the, the benefits of God in your life because you're comparing it to what somebody else has, there's somebody over here who's looking at what you do have and is doing the same thing that you're doing with them. That's entitlement. Entitlement in matters of our minds shows up as pride or arrogance. We get all hot and bothered when we have to wait in a line longer than what we think we should. How dare they cut me off in traffic I'm preaching now. I'm gonna tell them, I'm gonna tell them what number they are. Pride and arrogance shows up when you don't think that, when you didn't get the perk that you thought that you deserved, you didn't get the, the free upgrade that you thought that you deserved. And what happens while you're standing there in that moment, you get all flustered and all hot and bothered. And because of your entitlement of thinking that you should have gotten something that was never owed to you, you allow your anger and frustration and your flustering in that moment to carry with you through the rest of the day and affect everywhere you go for the rest of the day. That is entitlement. And in matters of relationship, entitlement shows up in how we keep score. Instead of remembering the way that you were loved, served, accepted, and forgiven by Christ, you withhold love, you withhold service, you withhold acceptance, you withhold forgiveness until... They've earned it because you're keeping score. And what happens is in the dynamic of your relationships, you become the trainer and they become the monkey and they've just got to dance a certain way until they can get the treat, until they have met your arbitrary standard of what is right, what is fair, what is equal. This is entitlement. And I just want to ask the question today, how is any of this working for you? When entitlement shows up in your faith, when entitlement shows up in your mind, when entitlement shows up in your relationships, how is it working for you? Is your faith where you want it to be? Is your mental health where you want it to be? Are your relationships where you want them to be? Let me specifically dive down in the context of relationships. When I ask, how is any of this working for you? Let me ask another question. Is your cup full? You see, what happens in relationships is we get into situations where because you're in relationship with another busted, broken, jacked up person, you're gonna hurt each other. And when entitlement becomes your posture instead of gratitude, there's no way that that relationship will ever be what it could be. It doesn't matter if it's your boss, if it's your child, if it's your parent, if it's your spouse, if it's your friend. Let me show you how powerful gratitude is. When you choose to first see the good in the other person, when you thank God for the good things that are in them, when you remember those good qualities, especially in your family dynamics, but also at work, because after all, you did choose to work there. When you begin to first think about what's good about them, 
And you begin to praise God for what's good about them. You begin to praise God for allowing you to be in relationship with them. And what happens is, is your perspective changes. And as you start with gratitude, here's what you'll experience. You will experience the spirit of God begin to fill your cup. And gratitude is so powerful that it can lead you to a place where your cup is full, even if or when they are unable or unwilling to do a thing to fill your cup up. That's the power of gratitude. So I want to ask another question. I'm in a question asking mood today. When has anything positive ever come from a negative spirit? You see, you can hold on to that negative spirit if you want. In your relationships, you can hold on to it. What's going to happen? Some stuff's going to start breaking because you're going to start thinking some things that you shouldn't be thinking. You're going to say something that you don't mean or, or maybe you do mean it, but you didn't take some time to think about the, the, the ramifications of you actually saying it. You're going to start doing some things that can't be undone. You're going to participate and contribute into a relationship, something that is impossible for healing to ever take place because of your entitlement, because of your negative spirit. You aren't interested in healing. You're only interested in cutting. Can I also just say this? If you choose to live and you go throughout all of your relationships at work, at home, at school, at church, at, in your house with a negative spirit, can I tell you that one of, one of two things is absolutely gonna happen and probably both? A negative spirit is remarkably unattractive. It's remarkably unattractive in two ways. Number one, it's remarkably unattractive because people don't want to be around somebody who's constantly negative. Why? Because you end up being like a vampire sucking the life out of every room and every relationship and every conversation that you participate in. Because you've got a negative spirit because you've not anchored yourself first, remembering the benefits of your God. Let me tell you the second way it's unattractive. It's unattractive from an attractional standpoint. If you're dating, if you're single, a negative spirit is remarkably unattractive to the people that you would like to be attractive to. Let me take this into the marriage context for a second. A negative spirit is repulsive. It is, it is one of the antidotes to intimacy. I'm not talking about just sex. I'm talking about relational, emotional, spiritual intimacy. When has anything positive ever come from a negative spirit? See, if you can adjust your posture to a posture of gratitude, it will cultivate in you something that's very different. Can I tell you, in all my years of living, in my years of the different hats that I've wore, as a husband, as a dad, as a son, as a friend, as a brother, as a pastor, as a counselor, can I tell you something? in all of my years and all the conversations that I've ever been a part of, you know what I've never heard? I have never heard someone say, you know what? I don't want to be around them. I'm so unattracted to them. Oh, I can't stand. I can't stand even being around them. I don't even want to be their friend. You know why? I can't stand any of that because they're so freaking positive and filled with gratitude. Just grateful all the time. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, isn't it great? A happy morning. Boss, can I just tell you, I just, I, I love being here and I love working for you. It's just so grateful. I can't stand it. I want to fire them right now. 
Mom, Dad, can I just tell you, I, I love being your son, your daughter. Thank you. That's it. Out of the will. Done. No child has ever been screwed up because their parent told them how grateful they were for them. I've never heard somebody who's single and wants to mingle ever say, you know what, they're my, they, 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 they've got a good head on their shoulders. I mean, they look good. I, I, you know, there's a lot of things I like. I just can't get over how freaking grateful they are all the time. Mm-mm, not me. Ain't doing it. Uh-uh. I've never been in a counseling situation with a couple who's struggling in their marriage and had a spouse say, you know what, pastor? They're always just so full of gratitude. They tell me that they love me even when I have dragon breath in the morning. They're always looking for ways to serve me. And when I say, why are you doing that? Because I'm just grateful to be married for you. Ew! Gross! Makes me so mad. That's never happened. So I would like to suggest that you consider the power of gratitude. Why? Because your thoughts will lead to actions. Your actions will lead to habits. And your habits will shape the story of your life. And so if you will start with the thought of gratitude, it can change everything. So instead of choosing anxiety, instead of choosing entitlement, why not choose gratitude? And watch what God does as you follow his commands. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church Podcast. Thanks for listening.